I called in. Recorded live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Track Talk Live. This is your fearless and famous co I mean, actual solo host, Robert Johnson. I am joined today by two special guests. I'm going to make myself the permanent host of the show, guys. You guys can be the guest. Um, live from London, England, Weldon Johnson and Jonathan Golf. Good morning, good afternoon, guys. Uh, what a crazy world. It's continued yesterday. I mean, this world has been bizarre enough to begin with. Usain Bolt losing, Elaine Thompson losing, Allison Felix getting only third, Shawnee Miller below not even meddling, um, Phyllis Francis winning 400 gold, Bosse winning 800, all this craziness, and yet it continues again yesterday. 1,500 heats. I mean, the 1,500 heats. We're not talking about the semis. We're talking about the 1,500 heats, and the Olympic champion Matthew Sentowitz is going home. What a shot, guys. First heat, so I have no doubt that you guys were watching it. Sometimes you're doing interviews, right? You're, you're, you're not seeing things, but I imagine the first heat, or were you interviewing other people? Were you guys watching the race live, and what did you think? Jonathan? Yes. Yeah, I was watching the race, and I was in the mix zone, but I was watching on TV. It wasn't an issue. And so let me jump in here. Just before the first round starts, for the big races, we try to go up top and watch. It's hard. you got to go up the stairs. It's actually easy here in most worlds, but you sort of just decide, like, hey, you know, Usain Bolt's not 100 meter five. Someone's not through here. I'm going to run up there and sprint. Uh, with rounds and a lot of rounds going back to back, and I sort of signaled to John, nobody really comes through, and I'm like, hey, 1500. And John said to me, nothing happens in the first round of 1500. <laughs> and I actually, I decided to go up. Usually John goes up with me. I went up and watched it. I saw it live, and John stayed underneath. I mean, he probably got a better view than me on the TV, but yeah, Matthew's interest. Uh, no response to final lap. I think he sort of knew he wasn't going to do that well because I thought like he didn't run like he, he, he belonged. Oh, I mean, I don't, I disagree. I think through like about 800 meters, I was like, well, Centro's just where he always is. He's in good position. He's always uh, like, you can pay him to run the anchors. I guess we can get to that in a minute. But like, Andrews might get to a good place and he's not able to hold it. Matthew, once he gets to the front, he's usually able to defend that position. But so what I, I thought said something was wrong because of the bell. He was, in, he was already getting shuffled back. He was in terrible spot. I mean, that's a bell, yeah. And, yeah, no, that, yeah, at that point, I got a sense, hey, something is a, is a little off here because he's never usually this far back, especially in a prelim. And you could just tell that final turn, you know, like, oh, my God, he, he's not going to by him at that point. He waved the white flag. But, you know, I... I've interviewed Matthew several times, and that is by far the most frustrated I've ever seen him in the mix zone. You know, off the USA, he was very um, gripped. He gave us like 11 minutes talking about everything that's happened to him this season, from the pericarditis issue that uh, ruled him out of the pre-classic to, you know, some adductor injuries he battled this year. But after this one, you could tell it was just a very frustrating season for him. He, he was never able to get consistent training together. Um, he said, you know, I've just had more injuries than I've ever had in my in my life this whole year. It's been really annoying. And then I tried to ask him, you know, well, has there been any setbacks since USA's? And I think he just – he really didn't want to go into it. I think he was just really bummed about how everything's been going. So I did talk to his agent, Ricky Sims, a little bit afterwards. And Ricky told me that um, he had had a hamstring issue after – 
uh, USA that was unrelated to anything that had come before, and that had cost them some additional time. So really, it's just it's been fits and starts the whole way for Centrowitz, and I, I think he knew coming into this meet, he, you know, he just wasn't in the kind of shape he was going to be in. He wanted to be in to, to do anything of substance. Really just uh, frustration, I think, is, is the key word here. Good stuff, guys. If you're just joining us, we I noticed a couple callers that just called in. Um, you're listening to a Friday edition of Track Talk Live. This is your host, Robert Johnson. I'm joined by from London by Jonathan Galt and Weldon Johnson. We're talking about how the weird world championships has continued. Matthew Centrowitz out in the very first round of the 1500, the Olympic champion. As great as Rio was for his last year, you know, um, the world's have been bad this year. I guess if you're going to bomb one and win the other, you certainly picked it by, you know, imagine the, the, how much more important it is to win that Olympic gold and the world championship gold in terms of down the road, sponsorship opportunities, stuff like that. Um, there has been a disaster in London. The internet at the Let's Run headquarters are out this morning. So Weldon and Jonathan have had to call in. Normally they've been dialing in through their phones um, on the phone. Guys, you're sounding a little tingy. I don't know if you can get closer to the speakerphone or or what. It's a little bit harder. The connection may not be the greatest. So um, just do your best so that the callers don't have to listen to horrible audio the entire time. But, um, you know, one thing about Centaur, I agree with you guys. I mean, he was in a perfect spot, John, for the first 800. But going into the last lap, I'm like, he's got some work to do. And he just never started moving up. It, I, I, I kept thinking, well, he's still closer. But I'm like, wait, what's he doing back here? And then he just didn't have it. Um, I, you know, I think if I ever saw him move like one foot forward, like if he ever gained it all, I would assume that he would just move forward. But it just never happened. Um, I, I kind of feel like, I mean, I'm not used to seeing Centaurus do this because he's such a championship quality, you know, performer. But when I watch, uh, this is a weird sort of thing, but when I watch Jonathan Brazier, I feel like it's the same thing. Like coming off that final turn, if he puts his head down and moves forward, I know he's going to rock it. If he doesn't, he's not going anywhere. So, but, you know, um, the one crazy thing about that heat was, look who had been named in the first heat. You had all three of the Olympic champion. You had all three of the medalists from 2015. Plus, you had the Olympic fourth placer in Mahiti Makiki. Jan Lai Suleiman, I guess he's one of the medalists. Josh Kerr, NCAA champion. I mean, it was just totally loaded, and it went slow. Um, But to to me, the big development, obviously, Centrowitz is out. But a guy that many people have been discounting, not myself, I guess I didn't him in my damn prediction for a contest but so maybe i did i can't play it both ways but as bell kiprop the three-time 2013 2015 2017 world champion former olympic champion uh, let's, let's run that back doesn't even 2017 yeah um i'm wondering if i should hang up on you guys and call you back you don't sound good how would that work? Robert, we'll call in. Keep talking. We'll call the talk to you number. We're doing it off Apple Talk. Keep talking. Distract people. Okay. Um, so they're going to call in on, on a more secure line, so you get to hear my beautiful analysis of this. But in that first heat, you know, Kiprop, oh, he's my favorite 1,500 runner. I mean, to me, it's a thing of beauty. It's like 
sure, any runner could be on drugs, but if I was going to justify how someone could run that fast, he just looks different. He's got the longest legs. It's just a, an art form to watch. Um, so anyways, but his tactics have often left a, a lot to be, to be desired. So, um, you know, in, in the first heat, Kiprop goes out and I'm like, please don't go in last. He, he ran a tactically horrible race in Rio. He often runs a tactically horrible race. And I'm like, what's he going to do? He goes out last. So, um, I still hear them. Anyways. Uh, oh, there they are. Jonathan, well, you're still on through the phone, though. There we go. Hopefully you can hear us a little bit better, Robert. Much better. Much better. Thank you. Um, So I was talking about Kiprop, and when I was watching the race, I'm like, okay, how's he going to do? And I wasn't even paying attention to Centroids. I was like, okay, I want to see how Kiprop looks. I didn't realize how loaded the heat was until about halfway through it. And I'm like, is he going to go out and last? And he does it. I'm like, God. I mean, he's good enough to do it in the first round, but I'm like, does it in the final? I I actually think in a in a in a you know in a prelim like one of the best places to be is first or last. In the last, you can just avoid energy, wasting energy, and if you're good enough, you know you can move up in the last lap and and get through. You don't have to worry about a fall and stuff like that. So if you're super super good, being in last is not a bad spot in a prelim. But in a final, I'm like you don't want to have to make up that much ground. So he goes out in last. I'm like, what's he gonna do? I'm still watching him. They come around the turn of the thousand, and boom, he hits it. And one thing that I give Kipper a lot of credit for here, and he normally does this sometimes, he, uh, once or twice he fails to do this. But this is advice for you if you're a young runner, tactically, particularly in any distance race, but particularly the 800 or the 1500. If you move up like that, like Kipper did between 1000 and 1100, you have to keep going. You cannot move up, run wide into lane three. You see this so often at the collegiate level. People move up. They want to get in a good spot before the belt, and then they don't get to the, they don't get up to where they want to be. They don't get into first or second, and so then they just instead of running wide on the turn, they move back. You have to keep moving forward until you can move in. Do not move back. You don't want to waste energy and then find yourself in the same dumb, terrible spot that you were before. So, but he ran hard enough, you know, to get into the lead, and then coming home. I mean, point it was like a quarter second separated the top six or seven guys in that heat, but uh, coming home. I felt convinced the entire way that Manigo and Kiprop were always in control. I mean, they were 350, 45.93, and 9.6. If you ran 0.17, so 0.24 later, you're out. You're not even advancing. But if you didn't see the heat, Manigo and Kiprop were good throughout. Igor was right there. Um, a German, Tim, Timo Benitez moved up. Jordy Williams, good for him. He got, he got the final qualifying spot. But um, guys, it sounded like in the post-race interviews, Weldon, which one of you talked to, whichever one of you guys talked to Kiprop, he didn't reveal much. Like, he didn't say, yeah, I've really been training well, I feel good. He sort of wanted to be a little ambiguous about how things are going. Yeah, John talked to Kiprop. Okay. Yeah, I talked to him, and uh, he really wasn't saying anything. Like, I tried to ask him what kind of shape are you in. I tried to ask him, you know, uh, are you worried that you're not, you know, in the 326, 327 shape that you normally are? And he didn't really, yeah, he was basically like, 
well, I'm just focused on getting through the rounds. I just come here like I always do. I want to get to the semifinal, and I want to make the final. Um, he did say, I mean, I asked him if he felt pressure uh, or less pressure this time because he hadn't been dominating on the Diamond League circuit. And he was like, well, no, I, I always feel pressure. You know, I want to try to equal Hickam Elgarouge's four straight world titles. So I think clearly that's, that's on his mind, but we still, you know, we have some lim- we have limited evidence as to how good Kiprop is right now. Basically, it's his, you know, he's pretty he looked pretty good in the prelims, and uh, you know, he went for it in Monaco, well, kind of, and didn't look great there. So I don't know. I think he's further along than he is in Monaco, if I had to say. But really, we're sort of guess it's all guesswork right now. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Kip, you know, I mean, Centaurs had run a decent race, and he ran like three thirty four in Europe. You know, people thought, oh, he's moving in the right direction again. You know, Kiprop did run 333 at Stockholm, and he took a step back in, in Monaco. Um, the, the one thing that, you know, Kiprop did run a 144.4 in, in July 9th in London, so I thought that was decent. Um, so it'll be interesting to see for sure, um, you know, like what happened in the 1500. That's going to be your final individual track race on Sunday. You know, so it's really going to be one of the things to watch for the rest of the championships. Um, you know, the, the other big news, and I guess it looks like nobody put it up on the homepage. I guess we sort of sometimes forget what we put up and what, what uh, people know, is the women's steeplechase, folks. Bad news for you. We have confirmation from people close to Colleen Quigley. She is out. She's not going to be in the final Um Guys, there's now like a – is there some sort of screeching noise in the background? Are you there? Uh, okay, if the listeners can – we've lost them. At least the screeching noise has stopped. Um apologize for the technical difficulties. I don't know how hard it is to do a podcast in London, but it's been extremely difficult for us. Um, but anyway, yes. They were back. Very good. Yeah. I don't know what happened. But, uh, so I you well in front. I'm sorry for the technical difficulties, but you were saying, you mentioned, what were you mentioning, Robert, the steeplechase? I was going to go back to the give everyone an update on Colin Quigley. She is officially out. We've received confirmation from people close to Quigley that, um, you know, that, that uh, they're not going to look at it again. Basically, the IAAF um, agreed that the cone was misplaced, but they didn't care really. Once they saw that she stepped on the curve, they didn't view that she was pushed into the curve, that was it. Um, you know, they looked at multiple camera angles and stuff like that, but it, it didn't really matter. Um, it, it, there may have been some sort of issue that they did not uh, appeal the DQ, so it could never actually go to the jury of appeals. So they did, you know, protest it initially, but there may not have been a formal appeal of that because on some of these things we've gotten press releases, you know, email statements from either way of saying why, like, um, like for example, in, in the men's 5,000, we got an official statement of why Eric Jenkins' appeal was denied and wasn't working and blah, 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 blah. I've never seen anything like that on the Quigley case. So it, it appeals – there may have been some sort of paperwork snafu that it didn't get to go to the jury of appeals. But 
it sounds like it wouldn't have worked anyways because they didn't really care that the cone was in the wrong spot. Um, they claim that they put the cone in the right spot and then a the photograph removed it, but it doesn't really matter. Um, to me, I'm glad they don't want people running on the, on the line, particularly in the 200, but this, this rule needs to be changed. Or I, I find, I, I'd be fine with keeping the rule, but just putting up a curb. I mean, people, I mean, moving forward, yes, Quigley should never come close to the line and be very aware of it. And if you're getting close to the line, shove, lean out and, and make contact with people. It's going to result in more contact. But if you had a curb there, people are going to avoid it. And um, it's just sort of unfortunate. It's like, okay, we're, we're going to not put a curb here and we're not going to put the cone in the right spot. So, but if you touch the line in the middle of a two-mile race by one eighteenth of an inch, you're gone. It's just stupidity. If you fall start in the first play of an NFL game, you're not thrown out of the game. So the, 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 um, you, know, you don't want a lot of ambiguity in track and field rules. But you need some. I mean, it's like, you know, if you throw an elbow to protect yourself in the first lap of the 10K, should you really be tossed? I, I would argue no. So you need to have some sort of common sense involved in these rules. Um, so anyway. in, a lap over, in a race over a lap, I think it should be you have to gain some sort of material advantage, and no advantage was, was gained. And I even bring back up the men's 10,000 meters. Mo Farah stepped inside of the curb. I wasn't even convinced he got hit. He may have clipped over his own legs. One guy on the message board, I haven't examined it a lot because he wasn't disqualified. But one guy on the message board said his knee hit one of the runners behind him, but it wasn't obvious. But even if Farrell like, clips his own legs, stumbles, takes one step, and goes back on, even for me on the final lap, he's not like running around someone. I'm fine with him staying in the race. He's not really gaining advantage. He wasn't trying to cheat. Um, so I think the rule needs to be changed. But, yeah, she's out of People chase. It's unfortunate, but you know, let's, it's it's not the craziest thing to happen at these championships. And you know, the, the craziness before that, I feel like, was in the men's 200 meters. You know, Isaac McQuala, or excuse me, men's 400 meters, banned from the 400 meter final. That was his best shot at gold. Uh, he said yesterday after the 200, I was 100% for a medal in the 400. Uh, wouldn't put it quite that high, but point well taken. So we have, we have a 200-meter final last night, and, and it was crazy. Um, Wade Van Niekirk, you know, comes off the turn first, right, John? And, and holds on, gets the silver, but, you know, McQuala saves and finishes. I don't even know what plays. I think McQuala may have gone faded all the way to loss. He didn't do that well. Um, but yeah, and your world champion in 2017, just like everyone predicted at the start of the year, Ramil Guliev of Turkey. And I think that it's just one thing, like, we had a lot of withdrawals in this race. You know, Bolt was never going to run it. DeGrasse backed out. Um, you know, Christian Coleman decided not to do it. Justin Gatlin never even tried it. There's a lot of people who, you know, were contenders last year in Rio who chose not to run this or were not allowed to, not able to run it physically for whatever reason. And it made for a more wide-open race. I think everyone still assumed that until – you know, the semifinals that Van Niekerk would breathe this title, but Van Niekerk only made it to the final on time. And after that, you were looking at this race and it's like, well, you know, all these guys have a chance. I don't think Gouli has lost all year at 100 or 200. So he's in good form. Uh, and he ran the race he needed to do um, at the perfect time. The winning time was not fast. It wasn't great conditions for sprinting. It was pretty cool by that point, uh, almost 10 p.m. local time. But, yeah, I, I think, I don't know, it, it makes 
I prefer to have a sport with Usain Bolt in it, but without Usain Bolt, it makes for some races where, you know, the outcome's actually in doubt. And it can be, you know, it's interesting, it's exciting. You walk to the, you ask, when is the last time we had a 200-meter final at the Olympics of the world where there was five guys with the shot of the gold medal, you know? It hasn't happened since before Bolt was around. So uh, it, it does make for more exciting events, you know, in terms of who's going to win, but perhaps not more exciting overall. You guys have disparaged... Well, uh, from Turkey... I, Big win for Turkey, just, even though he, he put on a uh, Azerbaijan flag afterwards. I wasn't sure about that. I mean, he grew up in Azerbaijan, but he runs for Turkey now. They wrapped out with a Turkey flag. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting, but he said afterwards, he said President Erdogan of Turkey called him and congratulated him. So, you know, with all the kind of craziness going on in Turkey right now, that's pretty interesting that they would call him. Um, I wonder if they also said, hey, man, like, Keep that Azerbaijani flag a little bit less in the more in the background. Yeah, he had, he had both flags, but the Azerbaijan flag was more prominent. I mean, I don't think Donald Trump would be um, calling Leo Manzano if he had both Mexican and, and, and USA flag out there. Uh, it was kind of bizarre to me that, um, you know, I, I, you see a lot of people do it. I mean, maybe had the Eritrean flag one time. To me, it's sort of like an ethnic pride thing. That's where they're from. They want to, you know, recognize their roots. Um, but normally you sort of put. I don't have any problem. I mean, if I could, I'm, I'm half British, you know, half, half American, half British. I wouldn't have any problems taking a British flag and an American flag on a victory lap. Obviously, I'm not really in position to do that. But, you know, if, as, a, as someone who has family and roots in both countries, I don't think there's a, I don't see any problem with it personally. That's a, yeah. I think John being a little modest here, ladies and gentlemen, I don't have any reason to do that. Last, yesterday afternoon, I believe at um, 1.54 p.m., Jonathan Gall yes. winning Heat 5, maybe Heat 9, of the media 800 meters. It was the most thrilling race of the media competition. Everyone there will say it. It was a neck-and-neck duel. There's a video of it with audio problems. It was a, seriously the, the most exciting race outside of the World Championships in London in the last two weeks. Unbelievable. John with the lead. The, the Belgians were undefeated in the media 800 so far. This Belgian guy comes flying by John in the backstretch. And then, you know, the question was, who was John going to respond like Evan Jager? You know, and no, he did. He stayed on him and came by. And then they were neck and neck down the whole entire home stretch. John prevailed. Unbelievable. The victory, but there was no flags for the victory lap. But they do have, like, instant, instant replays, introductions. John won a bag. Um Cloud day for let's run.com. Well, mediocrity is being celebrated, folks, by the media. John, what was your time? It's, uh, my understanding this is the sixth heat. The total Dinahay ran 154 to win the overall competition, and yet we're celebrating a 206. Is that correct? No, 208. What do you mean? You broke 210, sub 210. I improved. Uh, I, I was 10 seconds off my personal best, but I did improve uh, by one second on my time at the media race in Beijing. Uh, two years ago. Yeah, I mean, the media race is really about what heat you draw. If I'd been the same heat as Cajal, I would have just been totally embarrassed and, uh, okay. you know, no one will remember me at all. But I got fortunate in that I was paired with someone of similar ability and was able to beat them in the host race. Yeah, you know, that's the amazing thing about running is all about who you're, who you're, who you're competing against. Um, now, in the 40-plus division, how do Weldon Johnson do? Do we know of any runners over 40 they were able to be well. 
Uh, I don't know. I, they didn't have ages listed at the time. Eighth, uh, age graded. There might have been a four-year-old with me. Wells acquitted himself very well. He was in a heat that with a on, on paper it looked like, you know, well, it's not a paper. Oh, no, celebrity yeah. section, John. Celebrity yeah. section. Celebrity section, they build it before the race. There was a five live personality from radio in the UK. There was uh, Andrew Codder, who does some of the commentary for the BBC. He was in the race as well. And I mean, Weldon went out. He he went out and he ran sort of the Kenboy strategy, I would say, in that he tried to hold on with the leaders as long as he could. And by the bell, there was four guys pretty close together. It was like 69 seconds, I think, or 400. Oh but there, there was a guy in second place. He came through at about 70. And he just, I don't know what his strategy was. He just took off. He dropped about a 63 on the second lap, totally dusted everyone. I mean, he, he was just a, he was sandbagging out there. That's the only way to say it. And I tried to go with him on the back stretch. It was like <laughs> disaster. I got the 200 to go, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm not making the finish. But like the champion of Kimboy, I, I did the Kimboy strategy. I went for it and paid for it badly. Um, well, there you have it, folks. Exclusive. Returning, we, we got on the victory no, wait. celebration of the media 800 by talking about the 200. No worries. Back, uh, back to the media comments. 800 real quick. If, if the media 800 was a celebrity section, do you think that was like the video was shown on the BBC? Should I be looking in BBC replay? Like, you know, like do, do, was I, it shown I on TV? I wouldn't get your hopes up on that, Robert. John, how did he look physically? Do you think this could help his dating life if it did show up on the BBC? Like, you know, he could put this in his in his Tinder profile? Uh, I think it's probably better if you dig, try to dig up some results, some footage from, you know, the 2003 U.S. chance or something like that. I may or may not have shared a video of my um, 2013 media race in pants, which I won in 2.17, much faster time, in pants, with no training. Once you hit 40, kids, you're not going to believe this. It must go downhill south because I've run more, do a little training, terrible. And um, this young lady was quite impressed with it, with the video. She wants a video of this race, but I refused to send it. But, you know, fourth place is fitting for me. That's what I always swim to finish in important races. And, you know, here it's even more painful. Just off the podium, I missed the world championships. Uh, I was fourth of two world championship years. So it's fitting. But can we turn back to the men's 200? There are some interesting comments by the two sort of, uh, I guess, names, uh, Wade Van Niekirk and Isaac McQuala. Essentially, McQuala, you know, was uh, he, he was asked, you know, how do you put this ordeal behind you? What do you feel about it? He was a little more gracious about the whole thing, saying, look, you know, that stuff passed, but I feel like I would have meddled. I would have been 100% medal in a 400, but I, I, I gave out here. I showed I belonged, and I gave it my all. And that's all I could do. Um, he ran tw- faster twice yesterday, so I think he just caught up to him today or last night. And then then Meekirk was interesting. He sort of cried, I think, in the BBC interview, and then he was asked about it afterwards with us and he sort of felt like slighted that people were saying that he would have lost to McQuala and it was this conspiracy theory. I think he misinterpreted it a bit. Um, but he was saying that, you know, he was proud to sort of give it his all sort of, they both were sort of back to this, what sport ultimately is about doing your best. You know, the champions want to win, but he said, look, I was spent in the 200 semi, like he qualified for the final on time. He goes, this double was harder, you know, knew it would be hard, but I reached my max yesterday, and today I just had to go out here and give it everything I had, and that, all he had was 
silver medal. Um, so it was pretty interesting, sort of the face of track and field crying on the BBC afterwards. And he's so good. I think, you know, if he had a little more time to do the double, Michael Johnson had more time for his double. It, it might have turned out differently. And next year, Wade said he wants to do the 100-200 at Commonwealth. So it'll be that'll be an interesting wrinkle in the season. You know, no championships outside of the Commonwealth Games next year. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it made me gain respect for how hard the 400-200 double is. I mean, people just assumed for some reason he was going to win the 200, even though he'd really never won a 200 at a championship before. And, you know, and, and the thing is, when Michael Johnson did it, he ran – the 400 was totally done before the 200 even started. So I think it was a lot easier. Um, but it, 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 to me, the, I mean, yeah, some people were saying it was conspiracy theory, and that's why McCullough was thrown out. I never believed that. I'm like, why did people think – really think the IWF suddenly became concerned or cared enough that Isaac, that Wayne Van Niekert may not win the 400. I mean, come on. Like that's absurd. I think that's the reason why he was tossed out of that, but people were saying it. I mean, I think I really like Wayne Van Niekert. He comes across as genuine and real, and he's not sort of just giving PR lines, but he's got to get as a global superstar. He's got to get a little bit thicker skin and just not read these conspiracy theories. I mean, you know, I always say that, you know, anybody in the world, you know, if Jesus Christ came back to the world today and was walking here, 30% of the world would hate him. So <laughs> you're going to be hated by about a third of the people, no matter what you do. So don't worry about it. Um, but, you know, that, that 200 was, was crazy in the sense of, you know, Isaiah Young of the U.S., you guys said McCall was last. Now, McCall was six. Isaiah Young was last. And he looked great in the semi. He won the semi. Uh, and then finishes last. Now, him finishing last coming into the championship wouldn't, wouldn't be a shock because he was only fifth at the USA's. But one thing I was thinking about is, you know, I know it's not as prestigious as the 100, but looking back at it, I mean, 20.09 wins. Now, I know the weather's crappy. I know they're running into a headwind. I know it's cold. But do you think some of these guys skipped out on it, particularly Johan Blake? Um, well, I mean, I guess he ran it but couldn't make the final. Um, do, you, do you think that well, – I guess, Coleman, you, you're trying to win 100. Like, I'd rather be a 200-world champion than be, like, fifth in the 100, I think. Um, so I wonder if some of these people are regretting well, think, not focusing so on the 200. You, the guy you're thinking of here is Bolt. I mean, what if Bolt has come back and said the 200 has always been his favorite event. It's always been the event he's sort of – you know – the world might associate the 100 with Bolt, but the 200 has been his thing. And I know that it's probably more training involved than the 100, and perhaps the reason why he ran the, you know, meet at all this year was because his sponsors or his, whoever, you know, pushed him to, to run the 100 in London because that is the marquee event. But I think maybe if Bolt, if you gave Bolt the option, you know, the sponsor pressure or whatever external pressure he faced and said, you know, you have to run one event in London. What's your best chance? This is the start of 2017. His best chance is probably trained for the 200. That's always been the best one, best of his events. I think in current shape, I don't think – I wouldn't have been convinced in Bolt showing up and, you know, winning the 200. But I think if you – if Bolt had just been focused in on the 200 from the start of the year and he shows up tonight, I don't see – even though he's not the same, same Bolt as saying he's fast, I still think he runs faster than 2009 to win the world title. Yeah. 
I mean, I think he might have done it here. Now, it's interesting, though, about these times. I mean, there's interesting discussion going on on Twitter with the science of sports, Ross Tucker. People are like, why are the times so much slower? You know, does that mean testing is working? And, you know, I think it's dangerous to make too big of a conclusion based off of, you know, one meet in, in not good sprint conditions because times vary a lot by the sprints. And my proof for that um, – you know, this 200, it's amazing how much 200 talk we're giving, but John, that was a great point about both. I and mean, he probably could have won that 200, but look at Jareem Richards. Now the James Jareem Richards, unless you're a really NCAA fan may not step out at you, but what a talent. This is the guy that got the bronze medal for Trinidad and Tobago yesterday. So third, you know, in the world at age 23, quite good. But think about that. He was also, he competed collegiately for Alabama. He likes to finish third. Guess what? He was third at the NCAA championships. But not only that, he was also third at the SEC championships in the 200. That shows you how good sprinting is in the SEC. So he was third at the SEC, third at the NCAAs, and third at Worlds. Now, but look at his times. I mean, he ran a 19.97 at the East Regional. But at NCAAs when he was third, Eugene in crappy weather, into a big headwind immediately. He only ran 20.55. So that was into a 3.1 headwind. And then, you know, Worlds, he runs 2011. But he also ran 2005 in the first round of Worlds. It looked pretty good into a headwind. So that was the first round. So if he had been hot in a tailwind, I have no doubt this guy would have run. He ran 2011. He certainly would have run like 19.9, maybe even a 19.8. So it's just hard, I think, in my opinion, to read, you know, too much into it. But, you know, you, you're, you're thinking to yourself, how in the world could he finish third at SECs? Well, let's consider who won SECs, Christian Coleman. <laughs> Come on. And then the second placer finisher at SECs is Nathaniel Mitchell-Blake, who, you know, <laughs> just What's finished fourth in yesterday? the world. <laughs> so yeah. SEC standing so. is absurd. It's so good. Um, it two of the top four would have had three. The other guy ran it. I think our people want us to talk about – we've been talking a little bit too much about the sprints. Let's talk about – we talked a little bit about the steeplechase. If you're just joining us, Colleen Quigley is officially out. There's no other recourse. It doesn't sound like for her appeal. So tonight we're going to have the steeplechase final. And, and what a loaded field. I mean, the steeplechase has gone to new heights really in the last – you know, since, since Rio. Um, and, you know, it, it's really sort of – I mean, who's going to win? I mean, a year ago with Rooster Jabat winning the Olympics, being the world record holder, I assume most people thought, okay, she's going to dominate this event going forward. And yet going into Worlds, she's only the fourth fastest woman in the world at 901.99. So four women have run under 901 or better. And uh, it's really, you know, a, I think a four-person race. Emma Coburn would be the fifth. She's run 907. So there's definitely a gap there. So medal's going to be tough. But one thing I think you can count on with Coburn, kind of like Jenny Simpson, she's likely to run a good race. She's likely to get her, her peak right. So, you know, if she can run the equivalent of, say, a 905, a PR, um, you know, all you need is, well, I guess you need two people, though, to screw up ahead of her to, met, to medal. But if they get in a death match, you know, for, for the gold or someone falls, you know, you, you never know what's going to happen. But, uh, Jonathan, who's your pick on that? I've got my pick down. 
Um, I'm very emphatic. I'm very confident in this. I've been making a run in the Let's Run.com prediction contest, and I feel like I'm going to go one, two, three in the steeplechase. Oh, okay. Well, my my pick on the meet was uh, Beatrice Chepkelich. I I just I don't know. I feel like it's really hard to. I think it's either going to be her. Well, actually, Ian could win it too. I I feel like Chepkelich or uh, or Chesspole, Selfie and Chesspole, the the young. I think she's she's only eighteen um, or nineteen. One of those two, I think, is probably my pick to win. I picked Chepkelich just because. Lost, I mean, she basically raced this entire field in Paris and trounced them. Um, that's what I was leaning on. But she's, she's an interesting story. I mean, she was not a steepler until the start of last season. That was her first year in the steeple. She's like 25 or 26. Uh, she gets fourth of the Olympics last year. Now she's sliced like another – she runs 9-10, I think, in her first year as a steepler, which is just ridiculous. And now she's, you know, right at nine flat and has a chance to win gold. So she's my pick, but really I'm basing it off of uh, the Paris results more than anything. I think there are, yeah, I think I think any of the Kenyans can win this. I'm not as high on Ruth Tibet this year. She just hasn't, she didn't look great in Paris and hasn't looked like quite the same runner as yep. in 2016. Well, see, that's the thing. I, John, I've got the exact same pick as you, Beatrice Chipkowicz. And to me, there's really, you know, Paris was the biggest reason. If you do your research, I mean, it was basically the top five in this race tonight are probably the top five that were in Paris. Jeff Kowicz won at 901.69. Jeff Kamoler ran 906. Chesspool 907. Jebet 910.95. I mean, Coburn was only 0.13 behind at 911.08 from, from Jebet. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's the smart pick. Jeff Kowicz, um, she didn't win the Kenyan trial. She was only second, but she dominated that Paris meet. And then the thing that really impressed me after that was she ran in Monaco and she ran the flat 3000. She ran 8:28. I mean, we're now seeing world-class women on the flat run the steeple, and that's why the times are so much better. And it's weird you don't really see the Kenyan men um, run a lot of open events because it's just super competitive. But when you've got someone running 8:28, you know you see why they're capable of breaking nine. Because you know a lot of people, if you're a good hurdler, you had 30, 35 seconds. I mean, normally for a woman, it's a little bit more, but um, she's certainly you know really quite good i mean um on the flat you know i mean she's one of the you know she was second in the diamond league i mean she she beat lawrence muir and eilish mccolgan so you know if she was in these other events she definitely would be you know a finalist in the 5000 or whatever she wanted to run so um you know it's going to be a, certainly an exciting race um in that and then we also have a couple other distance Semifinals tonight, you know, women's 1500, excuse me, women's 800 and men's 1500. Women's 800 yesterday, as crazy as Rolls has been, the 800 yesterday pretty much went according to form. No big surprises. Um, the big three all looked good. Wambui, who had struggled in her last race, looked fine. Um, A.G. Wilson looked fantastic. Um, to me, the only thing really worth pointing out in that race and sort of from a if if you didn't watch them, was the fact that American Brenda Martinez did not look fantastic. She was top three throughout and then got past coming home and, and had to get in as the next to last time qualifier. But anything that jumped out at you, Weldon, about the fifteen about the semis yesterday I and mean, the first round of the eight hundred? 
Yeah, Brenda didn't look great. I mean, the only thing sort of I picked up was um, Margaret Wambui. She didn't run well at Monaco, and I asked her why, and she said, look, I overtrained. So she had a good excuse. You know, she said things are going well now. Because before Monaco, this race was viewed as, you know, the big three, um, Semenya, Ian Sabo, and Wambui. And then now A.G. Wilson's clearly in that mix at 155. The other thing that happened was Charlene Lipsy, A.G. Wilson's training partner and American hopeful, she did pretty poorly at Monaco for her as well. Um, and she said, like, look, that was good for me. Everything's been going so well for me this year is one thing. And the other thing is, like, I, I'm not used to racing the very best, all these, having all these people around, and, you know, you got to sharpen up your elbows. So she felt like, because running at this world stage is a new thing. She's used to, you know, sort of being not an also runner in the U.S., but sort of second-tier U.S. runner. Now she's, like, world-class. And there's it, a big adjustment to make. So she felt like she got some experience in Monaco, and that'll help, help her here. She looked very good. So, you know, the semis, that's where it really happens. So there's three semis, two in each heat, make the final plus two times. So it's, it's ruthless. I haven't looked at the draws. So with the talent this year, um, if you get a bad draw, you know, your semi can be very tough. So uh, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be interesting. Robert, give the draws in front of you. Yeah, I just pulled them up. If you're just joining us, folks, the Internet is down and Let's Run headquarters in London, so I'm the only one with Internet access right now. So in the first heat, A.G. Wilson will be running the only American in the first heat. Um, she's got that 155-61 seasonal best. The next best person in terms of – she's got Melissa Bishop, 157.01. And then the third best person this year, it, it is a big drop-off, really. Habit, Habitama Alamu of, of Ethiopia, 158.92. Rose Omania of Cuba, 159.11. She's run 157 in the past. So um, you would think, based on paper, that, that, you know, that Bishop and um, – and, uh, Wilson would go through. Uh, Britt, the Del Tracy, good story. She ran 25.28 PR. You know, so um, the, the, the Swedish girl's bugle passed her for the final auto spot, like in the last heat, but they, she PR'd and got in on time, and they were both, like, smiling. You know, it's not only that you start smiling, the person, hugging the person that beat you. We had that picture up in the let's run. Uh, well, he had the second heat. This is the heat with Leipzig. Um, 157.38. So that puts her, she's actually the number two seed based on 20. 17 seasonal best. Semenya is in that heat at 155.27. So if, she, if you assume Semenya wins the heat, who's going to get the second auto spot? Lipsy is the next best. Uh, Lindsay Sharp has won 158.01 in that heat. Um, and then there's a couple, just only actually two other girls that are broken two minutes. Uh, Sonny Virtson of, of the Netherlands, 159. And um, Selena Buchel, the girl that I talked about, 159.46. And then there's yeah. three goals that have run o- over two minutes. Robert, we got the heat in front of us. I think, you know, one, since the Internet's out, we can think really big picture. But, like, heat one, um, Wilson's, she's got Bishop in the heat, but none of the big three. So that should be doable. She should qualify. I mean, she's got no excuse if she doesn't. Shooting for an offense that's going for top two there, look, she's got to get that done. No excuses. Heat two, um, Lipsy's in there with Semenya, right? And so that's an opportunity. Um, 
there for the taking for her. So sure, some of these other women are, are, are good, but, you know, look at the people way better than you. There's only one. And he's three is a tough one. Brenda Martinez has got her hands full. Um, because you have me and Sabu and Wambui in the same heat, and then you're going to have the other cast of characters who are pretty good as well. So, so hope for the time qualifiers. I think that's Brenda's best bet. Hope that someone takes it out and then all the time qualifiers come from her heat because I just don't see how she can yeah. Sabu or Wambui for another spot. With two of the big three in that heat, it's actually good. And Brenda's the type of woman I think that, you know, we've seen her run solo before, so she's not afraid to take it out. Uh, you think with Wambui and me and Saba both in there, they would give people extra incentive. Plus, the beauty of being in three heat is they know what time they need to be. So there's really no excuses. Um, you know, it, it's in some ways you're like, darn, you wish you were in a different heat. In other ways, hey, she got lucky to be placed third of three. She's going to know what she needs to do. Hopefully she can get the job done. Um, I was looking at the – while you guys were looking at the 800 heat, I was kind of looking at the 1500 heat. Two heats of 12, it's going to be top five and next five, uh, next two to the final. Um, you know, I mean, the 1,500 is obviously uh, – I mean, everybody in the field is basically, you know, run between 330 and 335 on the year. So they're all, you know, the equivalent of basically 348 and 353 in the mile. So they're all quite good. I mean, there's no real, like, slouches in there. But it looks to me like the first heat's a little bit, bit tougher. Um, that's the heat Bobby Andrews is in. I mean, you've got, it actually got, um, you know, you've got Asbo Kiprop, who's looking better, Manangoy, who's my gold medal pick coming into Worlds. You've got Philip Ingebrigtsen, who I picked for the bronze in there. Um, so, you know, well, I guess you got Ecuador. So, I mean, didn't Luke Matthews win his heat of Australia yesterday? So, you got, McHugh, oh, you got, and you also got Sadiq McHugh of Bahrain, who looked great. So, to me, that heat definitely seems harder than the second heat. I mean, the second heat is where Johnny Gregorek is of the U.S., but it's got Timothy Chariot, Clamoy, who didn't look good, Christoph Hare, Nick Williams, Jordan Williams. It just doesn't seem to be nearly as tough as the first heat. I mean, I, you know, I, I think, you know, I mean, the nice thing is, though, if you're, you, there are five people in each heat. So, honestly, like, look, if you can't get in the top five, you probably weren't going to do anything in the final to begin with. And also, Bregard, I mean, he said yesterday how happy he was to be in the third heat because, you know, they knew what time they had to hit. Once again, he lucks out and he gets the second heat here. Um, and obviously, you know, it might be a little bit tougher to get the time with only two heats, the first and the first heat to go across. But I think it's always an advantage to be in the second heat, especially so when this one is, again, looks to be the weaker heat on paper. So, John, what do you guys think about this stuff? Of, it sounds like they're trying to prevent people in the warm-up area from watching the other heats and knowing what's going on? I mean, it seems kind of ridiculous. Like, when they step on the track, somebody from the stands can just yell out the time. It is ridiculous. Um, it's a huge advantage to be in the last heats. After the world, I want to sort of do some statistical analysis and look at that. But if a few athletes have said they had no idea what was going on, but they're not showing the races, or they turned off the TV or something in the call room, so they're trying to prevent it, but a lot of athletes single out on the track, and if they have a good coach, their coach just tells them, here's the time. So in the 5,000, the women knew it. Um, yeah, that's what Johnny told me. Johnny said that uh, they went on to watch the heats, but he still knew the time he had to hit. Like, you don't need to be able to see the race. You know, look at the scoreboard. If you're, you know, it depends on how bad they are. Look at the scoreboard. And then 5,000 meters, uh, Andrew Bouchard knew and was, like, shaking. 
Sumo can, Sumo didn't know. So it's interesting that some people don't find out. But look, it's an unfair advantage. I think they should take it away by having less and less time qualifiers. For example, 800, you can just have three top three in each sheet go. That's it. I'm fine with that. Um, they don't want to totally just sit and kick races. But if you're in heat one, and you know, a lot of times there's going to be no time qualifiers. It's not like they jog around in the 1500 at 80 pace. Who cares? Like, whatever. I mean, it, may, it would make it interesting racing. So I think they should definitely try to change that rule. Um, it was kind of interesting. One interesting tidbit from yesterday. So when Robbie Andrews came through, he did not see heat number one before him when Centrowitz went out. And he's getting interviewed, and Elliot Denman, a uh, long time, the elder statesman of uh, track and field writers in America, um, asked, he, he knows Robbie well because New Jersey guy, Elliot's New Jersey, New York guy, and asked Robbie, hey, did, you know, Centrowitz, did that affect you, his, his struggles? And Robbie sort of looked like a jerk, like, kind of like, what? And he's like, yeah. And then someone's like, someone else says, he was, he got dead last. And Robbie, like, was like, wow, what? And he turns to Jill Greer, uh, marketing manager of ATF, and sort of looks at her and is like, is he okay? Like, he thought Centro had to be, like, physically hurt. He just couldn't comprehend Centro not making the final. She's like, yeah, you just, you know, it's fitness, not injury. And he's just like, wow, that's, that's terrible. Well, I, I had a funny thing with that, actually. I asked Kiprop about it. You know, what did you think of Centro being out? And Kiprop was like, what do you mean he's out? And, you know, Kiprop was in Centro's prelim, and he just didn't realize. Like, Centro's got dead lost in the race, and Kiprop didn't know. So he just was, he was totally confused. Um, as so to what, how what was it his reaction? What? So what did he think? Oh, his reaction? Yeah, he, you know, he was like, well, everyone has some up and down years. I don't think he knew the extent of um, Centro's injuries, but, you know, Kiprop, obviously, he was the Olympic champion in 2008. He was the world champion in 2011. He goes to the 2012 Olympics. He did make the final there, but he got dead lost in that race. You know, and I think it was similar to Centro. It's like 2012 Olympics, Kiprop was not 100% healthy, and he didn't run like himself. Same thing with Centro. Like, even if you're as great as these Olympic champions, if you're not 100% or at least close to 100%, uh, you will get exposed at a world championship. Yeah. One one person we didn't really talk about was Robbie Andrews' race. Um, I thought you guys did a good job of talking about it on the, on the website. But uh, And Robbie sort of seemed to have a good take on it. I, I felt like he was very fortunate to get – into the final. I mean, coming off the final turn, he's basically in last. I mean, he was 11th, but there was a couple, like, refugee runners or people with 347 PRs behind him. But he was, like, basically last of all the competitors in the main pack. And, you know, he's known for his big kick. And he started to move up, but he wasn't, like, furiously rolling on people. I mean, because it was a tactical race, so it's hard to roll down the entire field when they're all moving pretty quick. But, um, you know, the one guy went down in a fall, which helped, and then he snagged the last auto spot, and then ended up being one time qualifier anyways from that heat. But, um, you know, I thought Robbie said, good. Like he ran up front early on sort of on the outside. And I'm thinking, why is he running all this extra ground? And, you know, if you're going to do that, like run this extra ground, it's kind of like I talked about earlier. You, you, you got to make sure you stay up there. If you're going to run on the outside, basically on the edge of lane two for the entire first half of the race, when it comes to kick with four or 500 to go, you got to make sure that you're still up there. Instead, when they were kicking, he was ends up like everyone came around him, and he ends up being basically in the back. 
So that's why, you know, when I talk about Kiprop, running in dead last for a 1,000 isn't the worst thing in the world because you don't have to run extra energy. You can run on the rail, and then you make your big move. But, you know, you think Kiprop would, God, just – I guess he's got such a long stride. Maybe he's thinking he's going to fall. But what if he just went to the front and tried that? But it'd be interesting to see what happens in those semis today and, and how Kiprop decides to run it. Um, yeah, you know, Robbie was definitely lucky. He said he learned in Rio that he needs to run in lane three because he's tactically bad in Rio. Um, but then he acts like he just got put out the back and there's nothing he can do. That never happens. Somehow, you got to be up there when they're kicking. You said, you know, Robbie closed okay the last hundred, but not tremendous. Yes, because this isn't, he's not racing a bunch of, you know, no offense, 335 guys in the U.S. Um, these guys are much better. So he closes pretty well here, and he maybe passes three of them. So he got really lucky the guy fell down. He actually would have made it as the last guy in at the time, but he didn't know that. Um, but as he said, hey, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. You get to start from scratch today. So, yep, and, and that, you know, you know, and that's one of the things that America's hopes are on him for a strong showing. Uh, if he could ever get it right tactically, you know, maybe he's got a chance uh, at sneaking in there for a bronze. But I don't know. I think we should sort of start wrapping this up because, you know, well, well, we yeah, I think really, you know, the it started as Mirror League. Uh, John and I actually aren't going to the meet today, Robert. Just kidding. Yeah, they did skip the morning session, gentlemen. They did not go see the decathlon. But, you know, one thing, you know, you want to qualify and move on. And it's an old, you know, it sounds cheesy, but it's true. I mean, think about the people. I mean, Van Niekerk sneaks in the 200 final, ends up with a medal. Um, Basse, he only got into the, into the 800 final as a time qualifier. So that's hope for Brenda Martinez. Basse gets in the 800 final as a time qualifier, and guess what? Basse wins his first race of the year and gets a gold medal at the World Championships. It's crazy. You know, so you, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, I'm just going to try to take one call. Looks like all the people that have, we've had a lot of listeners, but – People that actually called in, they could call have now hung up. So props to North New Jersey and East Maryland on the call. But, um, yeah, so, guys, we've gone on for about an hour. Probably should call it a day. Apologize for the technical difficulties. We can't really help it back then. It doesn't work in England too well, apparently. So um, have fun out there. We've got the women's 800 semis, men's 1500 semis, women's steeple, women's 200 final. Um, should be an exciting day for sure at the track. And um, I don't know. Can we do another podcast tomorrow, guys? Let's look real quick. Or are we going to be doing marathons? Or There's no marathons. Tomorrow there is a morning session. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to go to the morning session because there is 4x100 prelims. And normally relay prelims on, you know, most exciting thing. But Usain Bolt, I mean, look, Jamaica's one drop a ton away from that being Usain Bolt's last race for his career. So I think uh, we have to go to that. Uh, just to ensure that they make through. That's final. a good point. We could probably do the the uh, podcast after it's over. It's a weekend. People can sleep in. You know, we could do it at like – we could do it at 8, but we could also do it at 9 or 10 o'clock. East Coast time. Because you guys are going to be back pretty early. early. So I think probably do it about the same time. Well, we can work on logistical, uh, you know, considerations when we're not doing the a podcast. Four- the four by ones and the four by fours will be pretty interesting this year. I mean, you got the Usain Bolt storyline. Usually, it's like, well, the U.S. just dropped the baton, at least on the men's side. This year, you got like, hey, can the Jamaicans actually win? The U.S. team was weaker. You think the Jamaicans were in favor, but the Jamaican men aren't running that well. Bolt sometimes skips the first round, right, John? 
nor I think often he does when Jama- and often Jamaica's team is a lot stronger, but I think the combination that Jamaica doesn't have that great a team. Uh, and he also could both said he would run the prelims. Uh, that's what he said after the hundred final. He was planning on running the prelims. So uh, we should see him on the track on Saturday morning. And then in the four by four you got McLaughlin and Botswana and sort of the guy still doesn't have a medal. He's got a lot of fans here, he sort of waits the crowd, a lot of interview requests. I think a lot of people are rooting for him to get on the medal stand. And there was some talk of him challenging the U.S. That might be a bit ambitious. But we'll see, you know, even in the prelims, just see what their third and fourth guy do. Yeah, should be exciting. So uh, for Jonathan Gold and Walden Johnson, this is Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson, signing you off on another edition of Track Talk. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you hopefully tomorrow. Bye-bye.